We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com, use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween season. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my seltzer-loving friend, Nick Filato over there. He's got the Waterloo, very underrated seltzer. I think LaCroix is. is still the number one, but I'd say Waterloo is probably two. Bad take, Dan. Bad take. It's LaCroix, I believe. It's LaCroix, it? I believe. LaCroix. Sure. I'm going to call it LaCroix because it sounds better as LaCroix, and we'll find <laughs> out the real... We'll 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 soon find out what the what that actually is. But look, we're bringing the mailbag to YouTube today. But you might be listening on your podcast feeds, and that's fine too. This is the mailbag. We love doing mailbags. Um, we tend to miss questions based on la- there's a lot of questions that come in, which is a great thing. It makes us feel good. People want to hear us. So, but we don't want to miss too many questions. So we just kind of no intro. Let's let this thing rip. All right, Nick. So I'm gonna stand before before you start. Yes. Just just stand up a little bit so we can show to the YouTube audience that we're not wearing the oh. same exact shirt right now. Oh, this is my uh, fantasy. This is my fantasy football today shirt. This is uh, the draftathon shirt. For those of you who might have donated to St. Jude, thank you. Um, for those of you who didn't, I still love you. So next year you can help us out and donate, but uh, not the same shirt. All right, let's dive into this thing. We'll start with Peter F. who asks. How has your long-term view of the team changed after the first uh, four weeks? I had a pretty optimistic view of this team heading in just because I thought Joe Shane and Brian Dable were good football minds to bring into the building and they were refreshing and they were also outside of the organization. It wasn't this nepotism type of hire, not saying that Dave Gettleman was pure, you know, cronyism or anything like that, but he was a giants type of guy. So I had a pretty high opinion with this staff, but they substantiated my high opinion and I maintain said high opinion right now because of everything we've seen. We know this roster isn't great, Dan, yet the Giants sit at three and one and I understand that their schedule hasn't been that difficult, but I don't know how you can really view anything about Joe Shane and Brian Dable negatively at this point. I think the the path to success, the Giants are on the path to success right now. It doesn't mean they're going to get there, but I think they're on that path. Yeah, I mean, I would say it hasn't really changed too much for me personally as far as my long-term view is. I came in thinking this is going to be a team that, well, I'll say this. It's changed in the sense that I feel now that the coaching edge could give them more wins than they would have gotten at this point now and then at any point coming up. So that's the one thing that has changed. As far as 
regime-wise and long-term view. Well, I felt good about Joe Shane from the start. I like how he's ground the wire out this year with Jalen Smith and Landon Collins now, which we want to talk about in a second because I don't think we got any Landon Collins questions. We'll probably do a quick interlude to dump, dive into that. Actually, there is, I think, one Collins question about how they'll use him, so we can wait for that. Um, but I like what Shane's done in season as far as long-term view of the roster goes. Well, I don't feel like I've learned anything too new about players this year, right? Like, I have personally do not feel any differently long-term about Daniel Jones than I did before the season, not yet. So that's the start. And that's the most important thing. I already felt this way about Andrew Thomas. One, you know, one player that I might have, I'm starting to feel a little differently about is Dexter Lawrence. Um, I was already happy they picked up his his option because I'm not a huge believer in the cap anyway. And I believe in it. I know it's a thing, but look at what Howie Roseman does. Enough said. Look at what the Saints do. Enough said. That's the way to play the cap. But um, and the Giants are going to be fine, by the way, on the cap for a long time to go. Uh, so I'll say like little things have changed for me, Nick, but overall, like the big one, which is Daniel Jones, that has not changed yet at all for me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And it's just great. Also, we should acknowledge Saquon Barkley because there was that's some question mark. Changed. You're right. You you and I, though, we we were high on, on Saquon Barkley's ability to come back from this injury and, and at least from a fantasy perspective, be a, a very valuable asset. And I think he's probably, I would say, superseded both of our expectations. And we were high relative to a lot of other people. Well, we did put him at like 2,000 yards each on our bold predictions. We both kind of had high <laughs> predictions on it. So we're like right there in line. But I'd say my opinion on him has at least changed somewhat on what to do long term with him. I spe- it's, it's changed a lot, man. He came off two bad seasons. Like people can blame the injuries all you want, but he just did not look at the same confident runner on tape that he's looked now uh, for four games. So, yeah, it's a great question, Peter. I still think, you know, as far as how do I feel about this team's long-term ceiling? You know, there's still things that need to happen for me to feel better about that. To be honest, that look, it's not a knock on the giants. This is the life. This is life in a league where there's Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes. You got to beat those guys every year to win a Super Bowl or Brady or Rogers, as long as they're, they're still in the league. So Frank, the tank asks, I have a semi-serious question. Forget that Kenny Galladay is an MCL right now. Assume he doesn't. Would Galladay back with, Matthew Stafford in Los Angeles matter? Would it make sense? Could you trade Galladay for Allen Robinson straight up? The money is similar. I don't even know if the Giants would want to do that. I think both receivers are, are are cooked at this point. So I think it's somewhat moot. Frank the Tank, by the way, Frank the Tank, you're awesome, my man. But yeah, I think it's somewhat of a moot point to to even discuss those trades. And I, I don't have the money in, in front of me at, at the moment. You say it's similar. I'm sure that it is, but I, I don't think that they're either team would probably be willing to do that. It, it the whole Los Angeles Rams situation is is kind of crazy, man. That they invested like over 40 million dollars into Allen Robinson and the guy never gets looked at at all unless they're in the red zone with like a, a silly fade pass that never works. Yeah, I think part of the issue right now is that offensive line is terrible and we see this all the time with bad offensive lines you can't get through all your progress like Stafford's really just going a cup or Higby right now. As far as like the idea behind this trade, Frank, it's interesting because like maybe you can sell them on repairing Galladay with Stafford, but with the injury now to Stafford, I mean, sorry to Galladay, that's, it's kind of a moot point. Uh, I just don't think they're trading for an injured player. Um, and again, like Nick said, we don't really need an Allen Robinson type on this roster. We need a speed. We need a speed. We need some kind of speed at receiver. Um, I don't know where to get it from. I think it's, you can get it from Slayton. I feel like trading Kenny Galladay for Allen Robinson might be a decrease in your run blocking while also True. minusing what an inch or two off the receiver. Cause both of those receivers are contested catch guys who can't create any separation whatsoever. So it might as well keep the guy who has at least been in your system a little bit longer. 
I think that's a good take. All right, Rob Allen asks: Is the NFL game starting to, to transition to a more ba- to more balanced offenses again? I think so, but I think it's not necessarily just purely a transition. You you react to what the defense is presenting you, and we see these quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, they come into the league, and defenses are reacting to the fact that they can throw 60-yard touchdown passes every game, multiple times a game. So they're playing more too deep, more safeties deep, trying to remove the explosive play. So to combat that, typically you're going to have lighter boxes. So now you can run the football. And I think that is kind of balancing everything out a little bit. It's going to be a a tug of war match between the offense and defense between running the football and passing the football. And I just think the wise offensive coordinators exploit the vulnerabilities of the defenses that are presented in front of them. And I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Nick nailed it. Look, we've seen a huge influx of teams the Giants are not one of them but teams playing a lot of two high safety looks or a lot of looks that basically are designed for one reason and one reason at all to take away big passing plays and look it works to an extent but there will be a time I think there will be it's so cyclical in the NFL like teams transition teams not just transition teams like um what's the word they um, adjust. And so at some point we're going to see a situation where teams are going to figure out how to pass against these defenses. And we've seen it. And it's not like it's impossible. Um, Josh Allen adjusted Patrick Mahomes adjusted. And eventually there are, I mean, ultimately there are like a handful, I would say Nick or less or fewer of quarterbacks who can just rip whole shots against these zone coverages anyway, and destroy you like that. Um, and those are probably going to end up being the best quarterbacks to have. I think ultimately if teams are going to play this much zone, and this only really works long term, anyways. If you have four pass, if you have a four man pass rush that can get home, because eventually, otherwise, good quarterbacks can take advantage of even that kind of defense. So, I think for now, though, with the way the NFL is now, the interesting thing, Rob and Nick, is that it could help out a team like the way the Giants are built right now—a run first team, a team that um, you know doesn't really generate or hasn't really generated much in the passing game yet. And so maybe, you know, you look at it like, well, if teams can't hit the big play because defenses are taking that away, there's more value to having a a team set up the way the Giants are currently set up without really a vertical passing game. But ultimately, no vertical passing game to me means no Super Bowl. And we'll see if I'm proven wrong on that. And there are always outliers, but it's really tough to win without a vertical passing game. It's incredibly tough. We also have a question, and I believe, is this from Rob Allen as well, Dan? Yeah, he has two. Yeah, even though Kafka has been creative with the running game, do you see it as gimmicky, and do you think the league will catch up with it? It's an interesting question. Um, gimmicky, no. I think some of the like, it's not like it's gimmicky is an interesting word. Like if they were running like Wildcat, I feel like that's a little more gimmicky. Um, yes. It's not like a gimmick. It's just will they adjust? Yes, the league is going to see the film on what the Giants are doing, and it's not going to be as easy for them to run these to run at least from the boot action standpoint, like from what they're doing with Jones. But as far as what Barkley is doing, it's not like they're reinventing the wheel or being very gimmicky in the run game. They're developing and establishing a run game, and it's not even as diverse as I think they want it to be. I think eventually they're going to have a few more elements in that run game. So. I don't think they'll catch up to that, but they might adjust to the bootleg pass, like the bootleg action that the offense is using. Honestly, the defense just needs to account for Daniel Jones and his ability to run the football. And that's what the Chicago Bears did not do. That's what the Dallas Cowboys did not do, although the Dallas Cowboys were doing basically everything else right from a defensive standpoint. So once that happens, and I'm sure it's going to happen very, very quickly because defensive coordinators are smart and they will see the film and they'll see what the Giants are doing and the Giants will be forced to adjust. And hopefully everything we've seen so far, Brian Dable and Mike Kafka have shown the ability to adjust. So hopefully they can adjust off what 
the defense presents them. Now, the kind of unfortunate thing for the New York Giants right now is if you want to attack through the air, which we've seen Daniel Jones have success doing in the past, who is he throwing the football to? And that's like a whole nother conversation because you still have David Sills and Richie James as like your primary receivers. Kenny Galladay wasn't doing anything, but now he's gone. So that's going to force somebody else to step up. Like, are we going to see like players like Pimpleton up in the lineup and, and these guys who are just young and explosive players who are very, very raw, who have had mistakes in the past, just in like the preseason with drops and things like that. It's not a great situation from a receiving standpoint. And I'm sure every defense is like, well, are we really threatened by David Sills and Richie James? Probably not. So it's going to get interesting here shortly. And it's probably going to start in London against Joe Barry and that defense that can really get home. And I will say this because I think it's important to say, because I know me and Nick have discussed this off pod a lot. And we want to be the podcast that tells it like it is, even though, you know, there's not, it's not always out there. We personally do not believe that the only reason the Giants are not passing the ball at all for more than 200 yards a game is because they have an O-line issue and a wide receiver issue. We personally believe part of this is the quarterback. And we've seen it. We've seen it play out. I, I think you guys have too. You've seen quarterbacks with issues on the O-line and wide receiver still create things vertically. Justin Herbert's a great example. His rookie season, there were injuries at wide receiver. I know he had still had some better receivers than the Giants, but it's not really like he had separate. Like Keenan Allen is not really a separator, and he was hurt. Mike Williams is not really a separator. Some A lot of this is still on the quarterback. It's still the most important position by far. It's still a position where you can create on your own, too, as a passer. And so we just have to consider that as well. I, most of the rhetoric I've seen about why the Giants can't pass this year is they, nobody can pass with these receivers, right? The nobody can pass these O-line. Well, I don't know. I think Mahomes could. I think, I think that's could. a good point. I think that's a good point. And we're not just doing this to disparage Jones. Oh. One thing, too, I think Mike Williams is what we all hoped Kenny Galladay would yeah, be, yeah. right? That's like the optimal no, situation. Kenny Galladay could separate a little more vertically. I really felt, thought he had more more burst off the, snap, off the line of scrimmage. I feel like every time Mike Williams jumps up at the catch point, he's like 700 feet in the air. And then yeah, he falls. at the catch point, he's unreal. Yeah, it, it's crazy. But to, to your Jones point, we can even see – little examples of what you're saying right now throughout this season week one right they're in the red zone they throw daniel jones just inexplicably throws a ball into a place that gets intercepted when he doesn't need to week two two minute drive flat defender frankie lubu friend of the podcast not really best friend of nick Filato, possibly he goes to the curl flat he covers a lot of ground daniel jones puts it right into his hand should have been a pick six drop little things like that. And I think Daniel Jones has played well so far this season for what the offense has asked him to do. But one of the, his biggest issues is turning the football over. It's one reason why Jason Garrett was so conservative too. I think he's naturally conservative, but I think the quarterback definitely assisted him in his conservatism when it came to play calling and things of that nature. Right. So I think that's just something that we have to keep in mind here. I just don't believe Brian Dable and Mike Capital really want to put too much on Jones to where Jones can make one mistake that is going to kill this team. Because this team battles, man. This team is fighting all the way till the end in every single game so far this season. You throw a pick six, that's going to basically ruin the New York Giants. And then you're going to force the Giants to get away from their run game because they're going to have to pass more. And I don't believe right. they want to do that because of their offensive line, because of their receiving weapons, and because slightly because of quarterback. Yeah, we just caught the call. Like this is I, I don't know why some people can't grasp this, but it, it's part of life right now for the Giants. And, 
you know, this is not a, this is a team that has zero margin for error right now. They can't throw a pick six in a game. They can't have a sack fumble for a touchdown in a game. They're winning games 19 to 13. They're winning games by a field goal at the last second that goes one way or the other. So they have a specific style right now. And I think that's a big reason why they don't want to open it up and throw the ball. Yes. Maybe it has to do with these receivers getting injured and not knowing the offense, blah, blah, blah. They can't separate. The O-line isn't great. But also you have a quarterback with a turnover history. There's no way around that. That's exactly what what he has been. Um, And also with a history of just slow processing post-snap and not understanding everything pre-snap, where things are going to be after the snap. Like that's one of the, like Rodgers, we all talk about like, oh, he sees the field so well. These types of quarterbacks, the Rodgers, the Brady's, they can they can beat the blitz. They see the field so well. Part of that is also pre-snap. Like they're get, they're guessing and they're predicting the rotations from the safeties post-snap and where the coverage is going to be. And then sometimes they don't even need to see the field well post-snap because they've already predicted it. And that's something we still need to see from a better from Jones to be a natural, perfect passer. And unfortunately, we may not get that this year because if they're winning games with this style of offense, if they continue to win games, Nick, I don't think they're going to change anything, right? Like if they could just win games with a run first offense, bootleg action using Jones's legs, some like little throws here and there, why change it? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this offense adjusts week by week, opponent by opponent. So, yep. We'll look into it. All right. Greg Kaola asks, which current giant would you most like to grab a beer with? Oh, I love this question. Yeah, what current one. giant would I want to grab a, a whiskey with? <laughs> so uh, let's do an offensive one and a defensive one. Because the defensive one for me is Dexter Lawrence. I think that that dude is is so much fun. I love when he's mic'd up going with Dexter Lawrence. Offense, I'm thinking of an offensive lineman. I mean, I want to kind of go with Saquon just because he's Saquon Barkley. But I might end up going with Andrew Thomas. And I don't know. I think that would be not a party type of vibe. It would be more of a reserved intellectual type of vibe where you can talk to – because that dude is smart, man. You could talk to him about anything. He's a musician if you want to pick his brain on any of that kind of stuff. So I think I would go with Andrew Thomas and Dexter Lawrence. Okay, I'd go with Daniel Jones on the at the at, on the offense. I just think I could get a lot of info. I just want to know. I think the quarterbacks can give me the most information I want from like. And this is all assuming like they'll talk to us about about football. And if they're at dinner with you. They don't really have much of an option. I don't know if you ever seen that episode of Curb, uh, Nick, where there's a guy who like bids on a lunch with Larry David, and then Larry yeah. David tries to make the like the most obnoxious lunch possible, so he'll just like end it early. The guy. <laughs> but um, it's kind of like that. As long as he's willing to entertain us, Jones, I'd pick Jones. On the defense side of the ball, um, that's a tough one. I think I would go with similar idea to why I'm picking the first one. But I think I would actually. I think I go with Kayvon Thibodeau. I really like how I, I love his conversations with the media. I think he sounds like a really, really intelligent person. Um, streets super street smart, probably book smart as well. I don't know that, but I don't care. Um, and I think he'd be a great person to have a convo with. So. Yeah. Kayvon Every time I see Kayvon in an interview, I, I tune in. He's yes, he's he good, very, very fun to listen to, and I think he's going to have a bright future here in New York. Jake the Giant asks, any thoughts on how DJ Davidson has played when he's on the field? I've seen him make a few plays. Hashtag Big Blue Banter. Yeah. Davidson has made some plays when he hasn't gotten that many snaps. Uh, he hasn't flashed as much as a pass rusher, but he's been he's been doing his job pretty well in the run game. I feel like I don't, I don't have too much else on him. Yeah, he has 36 snaps on the season he only played nine last week and i felt like i saw him a little bit more in tennessee and in carolina but he only played seven and eight snaps respectively in those games but he ended up having a couple tackles and he was getting in on tackles i don't have much either from just what the film has said i feel like he's anchored down 
I would say adequately one time. I think he got kind of out leveraged and pushed out of the gap, but he did find the football. Let's see what pro football focus twice. And I actually thought it was twice in Tennessee, but they have it once in Tennessee. So overall, I would say it's just been okay, but we haven't seen really too much of him. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why is this new water called Liquid Death? Because it will brutally murder your thirst. And the recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. I've tried Liquid Death, and I am still here. I'm not plastic, nor am I thirsty anymore, because my former parched state was quenched by the tart acidic taste of one of their flavors, Severed Lime. The lime became severed because it messed with another Liquid Death flavor, Mango Chainsaw which combines real agave nectar with Leatherface to slice the uncomfortable drought festering in your oral cavity. Into berries and fruit, go six feet deep with a heartbeat with their sparkling flavor, Bury It Alive. If you love still or sparkling water, go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. That's liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then oddstrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. All right. We have, let's see where we're at. We're at Mikey asks, if Jones gets the green light, you still expect to see a lot of play-action bootlegs. Last thing we want to see is a limited Jones see the Arizona Cardinals game. I don't think, and I'm not a doctor, but I don't think this injury is as as bad as that Arizona Cardinals one was. Dude, right. he could hardly, it was his hamstring, he could hardly move. From the practice videos that I've seen, 
he looks like he's moving pretty well. If he's moving like that on Sunday, now I don't know if he's going to be moving like that on Sunday after he takes a hit or two, but if he is moving like that on Sunday, then I think they could still work the play action game and the Giants should feel comfortable using him as long as it's not one of those situations where it can get significantly worse if he takes a hit or something like that. That's kind of where I'm at with Daniel Jones. I'm going to trust the training staff and the doctors to make the right decision with that one. And I don't believe this is as serious as it was back in 2020 when they faced Arizona because that was that was ugly. Yeah, Nick nailed it. I think if he's playing, he's going to be able to operate the playbook fully. And if that's not the case, I don't think they should play him. And that's not my decision to make. But I would much rather see him rest, get fully healthy, so he can operate the full playbook if they feel like he can. If they put him out there, they feel like he can operate the full playbook and they don't feel like he has a high risk of re-injury, that's fine. But if Tyrod Taylor gets cleared... I would rather I would still prefer to play Taylor this week just so Jones has an extra week to heal up. I'd rather have Jones at 100% than if there's like let's say a 35% chance of re- risk of re-injury. I wouldn't put him out there personally. This is a tough game anyway against the Packers and I I just prefer to get him 100% healthy. But if they feel he's 100% healthy and they're playing him for that reason, that's fine too. Totally understandable. Green Machine asks, "Dan, who's the low-key star or stars of the Giants so far through 4 weeks?" It's hard to be low-key and a star at the same time, Green Machine. Uh, so I'll just answer as the unheralded. Actually, I can I can think I can do it. Maybe still low-key a little bit would be Dexter Lawrence as a low-key star, I guess we can say. It's still a little low-key there. Um, but as far as like a low-key unheralded player, for for me, it's just 100% been Jihad Ward. Like nice. Ward has just been – I mean, this happens a lot with these D linemen we get. Austin Johnson, um, the dude from Mario Edwards. We had a good year out of him. This is just the state of the interior defensive linemen around the league. It's a big reason why I don't really love investing in the position. But overall, it's fine. We have two great players there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's been great, Jihad Ward. And he's like came in as like a hybrid, but he's playing – and he's been best on the edge, I think, for the Giants. But overall, he's just been an excellent addition for this roster. He's more of an edge than he is an interior defensive lineman. Right. And out of like the edges that the Giants just signed to like one year contracts kind of see, like he's had much more of an impact than a Kyler Fack will say. Also, sure. I think Wink's defense allows him to have said impact. But every game we've watched, Jahad Ward is right there making plays. And sometimes the plays aren't even statistical. Uh, they're not they're not even worth any statistics. It's just like right. setting the edge, keeping it narrow so the linebacker can come in or the three technique can crash down the line of scrimmage to keep that stuff really narrow and just cause basically a traffic jam at the line of scrimmage. Jahad Ward was the first player that came to my mind there, Dan. So I was trying to think of maybe another one, maybe a Dory Jackson, just because you don't really hear all that much about him. But I just feel like when we watch the film, he's rarely out of position. He got beat by Darno Mooney on the one play. He might have thought he had safety help to the inside, but Xavier McKinney took the horizontal cross from the backside of the formation. Maybe that's why he was a little bit on the outside and trail. So I would like to think that's the reason. But other than that, I feel like a Dory Jackson, again, is, is in position very frequently and continues to impress. All right. Lyrical Cynical asks, between you and Dan, who wins in a dance-off, Mario Kart, and arm wrestling? Okay, so a dance-off. I'm going to go out on a limb and say neither Dan and I are very rhythmic dancers. Uh, I would say since I worked in performing, sports performing and stuff like that, I can cut a rug maybe to the level of a... Let's see. I'm probably like a Tay Crowder where if, if you need me out there, I, I can I can perform. But over long stretches of time, you'll realize that I only have a couple moves and then I'm like done. So I would say 
as a dancer, I'm like a Tay Crowder on the Giants roster. Dan, are you like an Austin Calitro or are you a little bit upgrade over that? I've never seen you dance, I don't think. I'm like a David Mayo when the Giants tried to use him on the edge as far as a dancer goes. <laughs> so, I mean, I got one move, but it's a, just a funny joke move. And I pull it out. It's called the double lawnmower slot machine. Uh, I pull it out sometimes. I'm just like one of those joke dancers. Like I'll get out there. I'll do funny things. I'll be entertaining. But I don't have any actual like good moves. And I can't move my hips. I'm a Jewish kid who's five foot eight, like tight ass hips. So I need to I need to like figure out how to like stretch your hips so like I, just a general problem in life nick you've, you've seen me try to squat i'm a horrific squatter based on hip tightness um and ankle, apparently it's ankle flexion too so whatever it is i can't dance so that one goes to nick mario kart is not my game it's i don't know i don't think either. it's your game either though so that's like a draw i would say i, I can i can play it but like so my friends my, my friends yeah. are like i'm one of the worst ones out of my friends I can't do yeah. the drift shit. I can't do any of that stuff. I can um, do the drift shit. I can do the drift okay. shit. So you're probably a little better than me then. I mean, I can drift, but it's not a good drift. Arm wrestling, Nick's got to win that one. That's that's, that's freaking obvious. This kid cares so much about his health and his strength. He's <laughs> never going to fall behind in a strength or health thing. You gave uh, tough ones here for me to win. Let's just be honest. Like, yeah, let's chugging give Dan contest, chugging ping pong. Beer, destroy oh, chugging beer, Flip he would destroy top, me. Ear pong. Ping pong, he would kill me. Tennis, he oh, would murder pong. me. We used to play. Me and Nick, yeah. at first, Nick thought he could beat me in ping pong. He was really excited about i did that. beat you a couple times you had for somebody like who of like for somebody who for somebody who like never played or anything growing up like i just kind of picked it up i i developed into a pretty solid player you were a good player but at the beginning you were like thinking it was a little bit of luck that i was winning and i had to make it clear that this was not a luck base you're pretty good you're pretty I'm, good. I'm decent. I'm not even that good. You should see people who are crushed me who are actually good. But I want but, you to um, play one of my buddies who has like like 35 inch arms and he's just <laughs> yeah, so that's sick. A joke. Yeah, I beat him like twice in my life, and I was like, oh my, like that was like a huge moment, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me and Nick have actually had some competitive games. The best, I think, the most competitive game we play uh, would be Stratomatic. We've played it a few times. That's it's what a, it's called. Yeah. I was going to ask you I what that game was called. Yeah. yeah. Greatest game ever for any of you nerds out there, football nerds out there. It's literally the best game ever created about football. Um, it's a board game about football, but it's perfect. It's you're the offense coordinator and defense coordinator. You're moving pieces on the board. You're setting up your defense. It's just as good as it gets from a fo football nerd standpoint. And we've had some competitive games in that one because we try to match it up. So we have like even quarterbacks and things like that. We haven't played that in a while, but that's definitely a good one. All right. Do you remember when Mike Kafka, uh, like two weeks ago, he was interviewed and he was talking about like how he lays a bunch of situations out and they basically play a game within the Giants room on based on situational football and he was yeah. like kind of laughing with our porters about it my mind went right to stratomatic I'm like yo what if they're playing stratomatic up there so, <laughs> so shout out stratomatic nobody plays it, nobody knows it anymore but my dad taught me it he grew up on the game just such an unbelievably underrated game um all right let's go from dj fundamentalist he says nick who are your favorite comedians and do you prefer club or theater shows okay so my favorite comedians i would say bill burr louis tim dylan Chappelle, big, big Mark Norman fan. Love Mark Norman. I saw Shane Gillis last week. He's hilarious. Chris Rock, Sam Morell's funny. Segura, hilarious. Uh, to go a little old school, I'd say Richard Pryor, George Carlin, can't go wrong. Love Mitch Hedberg. And I'm also a huge fan of Bo Burnham. I know it's a little bit different, but just as an artist, 
love Bo Burnham. And in terms of theater, I don't know if I ever been to a theater show, and I've been to so many club shows. I saw Neil Brennan, who's also really talented, in a in a short room. So it was a small room, short room, whatever you want to call it. It was like thirty five people, so it was very personal. I really liked that experience. Yeah. Typically, I go to shows that are like three hundred people, which is also fun, you know, just in a club. I, I would imagine, even though I've never been to theater, that I would prefer a club just because I feel like it's so much more of a comedy vibe and it's not as kind of like big and glamorous as a theater. So I would definitely go club over theater. Yeah, I like all those takes. I've been to a bunch of comedy shows myself. I think the club is definitely better. I've also been to a stadium, the PNC. I saw Bill Burr and PNC about two, three months ago. That was the greatest comedy show I've ever been to in my entire life. It had nothing to do with the venue, though. The venue was probably the worst I had been to. But more importantly... Bill Burr was just out of control good that night. And he, He's amazing. I mean, he had an unreal set that like didn't apologize to anyone, which is my favorite kind of sets, like the non PC sets. And then he did 30 minutes riffing on New Jersey. That was probably the best part. He spent like, he broke off and did an extra 30 minutes in the middle where he's just ripping on Jersey. And it was just unbelievably funny. Uh, it's Burr, Louie, who I've seen like three times. And, um, and uh, one of the guys you already mentioned, too, who was also up there for me. Maybe It wasn't Dave Chappelle, but I do love Dave Chappelle. You, you mentioned somebody else. I forgot who now. Mark Segura, Norman. probably. Mark Norman. I really like Mark Norman. Mark Norman, no, pound Tim for Dillon. pound. Tim Dillon. Yeah, Tim Dillon. I know you're a big Tim Dillon. Love Tim yeah. Dillon. Mark Norman, pound for pound, is so funny. Like If anybody doesn't know Mark Norman and, and they like comedy, go and look him up right now. He's He's been in the comedy game for, for quite a while, but he's still a younger comedian. I think he's still in his 30s. He's absolutely freaking hilarious big Nark, uh mark norman fan i saw him maybe about six months ago down at stand-up live in downtown phoenix and it was an absolute blast and he was a little Damn, wasted awesome. by the end of the show yeah <laughs> see him. that's pretty cool that he, you got seen recently um all right let's dive back into some giants questions here i think we let off on this one so stash bradshaw bradshaw asks and this is actually not going to be a giants question but deal with it he asks food question mate love to hear mate um, of the 32 teams, what one dish from their hometown's cuisine is the greatest dish of all? Okay, th- I'm going to let you go with this first because yeah. you're more of the foodie than I am, and then I'll think of something. I wish, Stash, that there was a team in Austin, Texas, but I also have had Houston, Texas, and I would say Houston barbecue, the brisket, barbecued brisket is the best dish you can have. But generally speaking, barbecue is the best and it's Nick Filato friendly because you can literally, ju- it's just meat and like sauce. It's like not that bad for you. You can, it's basically just protein, not any like you can, I mean, if you get the sides, you're going to screw yourself up and Nick's probably not going to get any sides, but you can even get like decent sides that like are probably healthy for you, like green beans and shit like that. So I would go with Texas barbecue. I'd go with the San Francisco 49ers, and they have this banging kale salad out there that's just absolutely <laughs> not. I've never been to San Francisco. You can fart and sniff your own fart, too. I'll say this because I live out in Arizona. The Mexican food out here is amazing. Dan, if you get out here, bro, we are going to try some freaking elotes, and you're going to absolutely uh, freaking love like them, dude. The sound of that. It's great out here, man. Love good food. Um, all right. Good question. Stash. Big Dash asks, who deserves more credit for the offensive play design? Brian Dable or Mike Kafka? Big Dash, my friend. So yeah, it's hard question. for us to really have an answer for this question. I'm not sure, particularly. No. We know Kafka's calling the plays, but I'm sure Dable has some sort of influence over what's going on on the field. He's probably in Kafka's ear, I'm imagining, a ton. So there's really no way for us to know this. I'm just glad that they are together because they both seem like progressive offensive minds. Yeah, Nick nailed it. I mean, it's Dable's system, and it's all, it's Kafka calling the plays. But to be fair, this is not really – I mean, with the exception of the pre-snap motion, which we've seen in the past from both coaches, 
This is a new offense. Like they designed something specific for what they have to work with this year. Daniel Jones at quarterback and a progressing offensive line. That's not there yet in pass production and whatever's left at receiver due to the injury. So like, I don't even know if this is like the offense they wanted to begin with, but it's the offense they created. It's the offense that they're designed to win games. And they're not like, look, the giants could have easily with these injuries at receiver and with, and with the situation, whatever's left at, I'm not going to get into it with their offensive personnel overall. Let's just say that could have easily been like the Colts right now who are averaging 12.5 points per game or the Broncos who are like third fewest points with like 15 or 14.5 going into tonight. They're not though. They figured out a way to design a scheme that can score sometimes and score touchdowns. That's the difference right now between the Garrett offense and this one. Um, And so, yeah, it's hard to say who's really to credit right now, but I'm just going to go with both as well. And if you look at the Broncos too, like that's a new coaching staff implementing a new system with some moving parts. They are 10 times more talented in terms of the skilled position guys that they have with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. You need KJ Hamler kind of coming back from an injury. They arguably have a better offensive line. Obviously, Saquon, Javante being out really sucks, but Saquon is above Melvin Gordon, no offense, Dan, and Javante yeah. Williams out there. But you can see the struggles, man. Like they could barely scored against like the Houston Texans. So that says something about the current coaching staff and what they're able to do with the personnel that they have. Dan, Michael Benoit asks, review of the interior offensive line play at the quarter mark of the season. Who has improved and which position likely will need an upgrade this offseason? I'd say Ben Bredesen to start has improved for sure from what he's been at least to where he's at now. Um Glowinski just keeps going up and down for me with the, with the exception of really the pass protection hasn't been epically good at any point. It's been pretty good. It's been, a, it, it's been at times pretty good, I should say, but overall bad, clearly like very bad week one, very bad week three. Um, and you know, most people would say probably wasn't great week two. So I wouldn't say improvement there. Feliciano had like a better game last game and he's been okay in the run game, but I'm not a huge Feliciano guy either. So I would say, you know, just to review it at the quarter mark, they've been, at times, really good run blocking. Um, pass blocking hasn't really been there at any point, I don't think. Though, started to show some signs last week for what it's worth. Though, again, I think that's more matchup-based against the Bears. It's going to be really tough to, to deal with this Packers defensive line overall this week. So, where do I want to see the most upgrade in the offseason? Where's the likely upgrade? To me, it's coming at center. I don't think Feliciano is going to be starting center next year. And there's always good opportunity to get center, like to, to quick upgrade at center. Teams have done it in recent years, you know whether that be Creed Humphrey, Eric McCoy, and the list goes on and on with some of those like immediate upgrade centers you can find in the draft. Yeah, and we'll have to wait and see when Nick yeah. Gates, the, that True. whole we'll situation, that would be fantastic. Yeah. But I, I also believe that the offensive line is, I would say, solidly better than what we saw last year, <laughs> you know, substantially better, but there's still holes, there's still issues along right. that offensive line. And I think, a good pass rush like what we saw against Dallas is going to absolutely exploit what the Giants want to do from a drop back passing type of play. So that's why we see a lot more move the pocket. One of the reasons why we see a lot more move the pocket and the growth of Andrew Thomas is one thing that we need to acknowledge because he was great last year. He, True. I would even say is better right that's now. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's huge for the New York Giants. And I feel like still not as many people are talking about it. We see it all over Giants Twitter, but you're starting to see like big personalities, offensive line personalities like Duke Mannyweather start to tweet about it. And that's when you're going to start seeing more of the national media be like, oh, this guy said he's good. So I guess he's good. And, and that's, I think, what's going to happen if Andrew Thomas maintains this level of play. Yeah, that's a great point, too, as well. All right. 
Adam Johnson asks, hey, fellas, I'm curious to know if you did any film study on practice squad wide receiver Marcus Johnson and if he can be of any help if he does get the call up. Yeah, he played last week. He ran one route on a vertical. I've seen a decent amount of Marcus Johnson throughout his career dating back to his time at the Colts. I think he spent a little bit of time with the 49ers as well. I'd say he is a guy with good separation ability, which is something the Giants need. He has solid overall size. And other than that, that's those are like the two main things that kind of come to my mind when I think of him. I can't go into extreme detail on how great he is at setting up his routes and releasing off the line of scrimmage and things of that nature. But if you're looking for a, a receiver who is over six foot, who can create separation through just pure athletic ability, you have two of them on your roster right now and Darius Slayton and Marcus Johnson. So I wouldn't be surprised Marcus Johnson gets called up for the second consecutive week and we see much more of him in this game now that he's a little bit more ingratiated into the offense and now that Kenny Galladay is injured. Yeah, I like that take. I mean, I would. I hope he's not going to just be on the field for like that one snap they had him on, where it's pretty easy to tip off a deep pass when you have Slayton and him as your only receivers on the field. I didn't love that from from a coaching standpoint. I hate when you have the tip off plays, and that could be could probably consider one of them. But you know, if you can find more of a role for him that you that you feel comfortable with, I just like always having speed at the wide receiver position. To me, it, it helps the scheme out so much. So we'll see what happens there. We got, Again, I remember, I remember, yeah. like, I remember he was fantasy relevant at one point of his career, and it might have been back in 2020. So I'm looking oh, yeah, right now that. for some of his stats. I remember when he was with the, I think it was the Colts. He came in, and yeah, he had uh, 28 catches that year for 255 yards in the middle part of the season, and I think he had a season-ending injury that year. So not huge stats, but he ended up getting you know a so- solid target share and earning the trust of that coaching staff until he was injured. So hopefully they can strike something there with Marcus Johnson, who is still under 30. He's 28 years old, so it's not the youngest type of receiver. Been around the league a little bit, but man, slim pickings at the wide receiver position right now for the Giants. For sure. All right. NT Verway, NT Verway, whatever that means. Do you think Daniel Jones' tendency, tendency to escape the pocket more this year is the coaching staff reinforcing him to be more creative and playoff instincts, or is it pure, purely a result of poor offensive line play? And it's all that he can do to keep the plays alive. I think it's a combination of both, but we've heard Mike Kafka. I believe it was Kafka, might have been Dable, say something about how they're instructing Daniel Jones to take the yards if they're there. And I think we really saw that against Carolina. It seemed like he was much more prone to, to bail the pocket in that game. And we kind of bashed him a little bit on the initial reaction podcast. And then I think we heard the comments from Kafka and Dable, whichever one it was, say something of, along the lines of, yeah, we want him to do something like that when it warrants. And I think that might have also been a byproduct of what we saw against Tennessee, Dan, when Jeffrey Simmons was just blasting through the line of scrimmage. Maybe they were like, hey, in this situation, when you have this three technique who's right up in your face before you even hit your back foot, bail if there's an opportunity. And I feel like the tackles have expanded those edges pretty wide. And some of those edges are also playing contain on Daniel Jones when there is traditional drop back. And Daniel Jones has just hit that B gap. He's hit that B gap. I think that's a coaching point. And I also think the fact the offensive line isn't great in pass protection helps the coaches make that point, essentially. Yeah, I think you did a great job breaking down. But just to keep in mind, just keep this in mind as well. We've shown this on all of our film review, not all of our film reviews. I don't think there were at least not an example I can remember from last week. Obviously, didn't throw the ball that much. But on each of the first weeks, there's also a third factor in play here, which is Jones not processing the field and not seeing the open receiver. We can think of the Kadarius Tony wide open deep over, Sterling Shepard in the red zone for a touchdown. Um, 
Daniel Bellinger in the red zone for a touchdown the week, but the week after that, I think it was Carolina game. There's been multiple examples. Um, there's been some underneath stuff that he just hasn't processed fast. And so part of it is coaching. Part of it is just, if he doesn't see it quick enough, there's not many options, but to run because by that point, the offensive line has broken down. So yeah. And with all the factors, Nick already mentioned as well. Dan green machine asks, are you watching house of dragon? If so, what do you like so far and how does it compare to game of Thrones? Yeah, I don't miss a House of Dragon. It's appointment TV for me. It's not as good as it's not. So, what do I like so far? What do I like so far is that it's a good question. Like, what do I think? I just love the genre, and I love like the okay. I love like the um history, the political mystique. I love the history. I love the lore. I love the the political like um the political goings back and forth, like the small council meetings, the scheming, all of that stuff. It's missing comedy, which the last one had Game of Thrones. But the fact that like the fact that I'm enjoying it to the point where I'm still watching it every week at this point of the of where the show is at is a good thing. Because, again, as I've heard, the first nine at the first eight episodes of this series are literally just a prologue. They're what you would open a book and you would read that memory. Every book you've ever read, there's a prologue before even chapter one. That's literally what it is all set up for what's going to happen, which is a civil war. It's going to be insane when it happens because we already saw last episode. I don't want to do too many spoilers. Nick hates when I people hate spoilers. So I'm not going to go too far with this, but I'll just say this. Talk to me like mid season two, and I'm probably absolutely loving the show and thinking it's as good as Game of Thrones. That's the projection for me. This is a projection based thing. But um, as of now, I'm just pretty much like middling enjoying it. How about I you? I like yeah, I like it. I mean, I'm a Game of Thrones fan, but I'm not as much of a Game of Thrones fan or nerd. Maybe I should even say as like someone like Dan. I'm like mm -hmm. the kind of guy who watches it. And then like, I don't think about it for like the week yeah. until my girlfriend's like, hey, let's watch it again. And I'm like, oh, OK. So like, that's kind of where I'm at. But I do enjoy it when, while I am watching it. And I love Damon's character. So I'll say that. Yeah, Damon's a good character, even though he's an asshole. He's a good character. Um, uh, Rhaenyra is, is good. She was better, I think, as the young, like, younger version. We'll I agree. See. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, should can bounce back here. Um, but the one character I'm starting to really like is uh the second the second son of Alicent, um, the one who got Vagar last week. Sorry, this is just it's hard not to spoil when you're talking about a show. So it, it's a it's okay with that. Yeah. I'm hoping some people who haven't like if you okay, here's my thought on all spoilers, Nick. If you're like a big fan of the show and you're like four episodes behind and you hear a question asked, what do we think about Game of Thrones? I'm hoping you know to fast forward. Like it's on you, kind of. You kind of have to know to fast forward. It's not really on me. It's on you. So it's I can feel that. But sometimes people, you know, they're they're driving. They don't want to look down. You know, yeah, I'm a big non-spoiler. I'm a big non-spoiler. I am typically a big non-spoiler too. I just think you your rules are a little more strict for it. But that's <laughs> what it is. All right, Nick fourteen nine oh eight asks Dan, what would it take for you and Nick to want to resign? Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. I think Shane would be okay with both of them gone, but if they play really well, not sure what the other options would be. See, this question will be better at the end of the season, obviously, but I don't know. Like, I think Daniel Jones can get resigned to, like we said, maybe slightly more than the Mitch Trubisky contract. I don't think they're investing anything big into Daniel Jones. I think it all depends on what Joe Shane and Brian Dable feel like about the upcoming class of quarterbacks. And if they're going to have an attempt to get one of said quarterbacks, if they love one of those quarterbacks, we know that already just by Shane going to so many of these games from all the leaks from him being at the Ohio state Notre Dame game. And you're going to go there because there's a lot of prospects anyways, but to suggest that he's not interested in CJ Stroud, I feel like would be ridiculous. And as for Saquon Barkley, 
do we really want to pay Saquon Barkley like 18 million a year or whatever he's going to attempt to command on the open market to reset the running back market after so many injuries? Look, I'm open to something, but I would want it to be more team friendly. And I think Saquon Barkley is going to position himself in a manner that is just like, look, I'm not taking any team discount, nor should he. He's going to play his ass off and there could be a team that is willing to pay him because he's playing as highly as he is. And I'm just not certain if that team should be the New York Giants. It's it's, it's one of those situations that I can bounce back and forth. I can see the pros and cons for both sides of everything. But at the end of the day, I'm still a little hesitant to allocate so much towards the running back position off of an amazing year when the previous three seasons were ho-hum. Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. And I like your answer, Nick. I'll start by just I'll do this one piecemeal one by one. We'll start with Daniel Jones for Daniel Jones. For me, it would have to be similar to what Nick said. No better options. They don't feel like they have any option in the draft. And he would have to take a smaller salary. It's not going to be a situation where they're like, well, you're Daniel Jones. You were drafted six overall. Here's thirty three million a year. No, no, no. You have to take around what Tyrod Taylor took a little more. That's it maybe what Mitch took a little more or you have to play a lot better than you have I know if some fans feel like he's played really well so far I don't know where that's coming from he's executed an offense that's not that's that's very limited right now and they haven't thrown for over 200 yards in a game and that's 200 that's not 250 it's not 225 it's not 275 that's 200 so right now they can't they it's not it's not all his fault part of the issue is the receivers part of the issue is the offensive line all the stuff we've already discussed but right now they can't operate a rhythmic offense through the passing game. That to me doesn't deserve 30 million a year, 25 million a year. You want to sign a deal like Trubisky? Fine. That's okay. I'm okay with that. But if you're asking for 30 million a year, you have to at least projection wise, prove that you can operate this offense much better than Tyrod Taylor. I know everyone's so convinced he can, but Tyrod's never had an opportunity to play within this offense yet until last week where he had a few snaps before he got injured and he operated it pretty fine to me, Nick, like, he found Slayton for an 11-yard pass. He tried a bomb that was probably stupid, whatever. He ran the ball just like Jones runs the ball. And he didn't have many opportunities to throw on the run, but I've already seen on film that Tyrod can throw on the run. So I think Daniel Jones is better than Tyrod for this offense. I'd rather have Daniel Jones, but not if it's 15 to $17 million more per year, right? So that's the whole yeah. thing. There's have to remember, Tyrod's already under contract. You don't have to pay him anymore. Um, so it's uh, to me, it's about the money there. With Saquon, here's my deal. If I'm re-signing Saquon, it has to be a short-term deal. Two to three years max. And he's going to want three. So a three-year deal like the one Galladay signed. It also has to be Shane breaks from what he's done already, Joe Shane. He has to be willing to front load this contract, assuming they have all the cap space we assume they will, and really make it so if he does get another major injury, they can get out of this contract before year three. Because that's the big deal here. We know that one running backs fall off a cliff after twenty after the age twenty six season, just purely over time. Massive, 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 massive sample size of running backs falling off a cliff. Two, he has an injury history already. This is a really risky asset to resign from all of that standpoint. Now he's still an amazing player. He's amazing this year so far, and I think he'll probably be amazing next year at least if he stays healthy. The year after that, he should still be amazing. There's a non-zero chance he's amazing for three years if they sign him to three-year contract. But there's also the chance that he gets re-injured. And then what? You don't want to have to have guaranteed cap to a player who's done from an injury standpoint. He's already had major injuries. So for for me, for Barkley, it has to be front-loaded. For Jones, he has to play a lot better to me, at least, so far. And and all that requires is have a rhythmic, rhythmic passing game. And if not, and again, I'm not saying it's all his fault. There could just be the same situation, Nick, that we've been in for four years now with how can we evaluate Jones without, without yada, yada, yada? So how do we know? But even so, even if that's the case, and I agree that could be valid, 
you can't invest 30 million in a player where you just the, the, the whole thing is you don't know. And the assumption is maybe he could be good if he has the right pieces. So that's the key there. All right. Your boy asks the quarterback. Daniel Jones can throw and run. His teammates love him. He's tough as nails. What's it going to take for the national media to stop treating Daniel Jones like a laughing stock? That's a loaded question, your boy. I'm not sure exactly what would it take. I would imagine probably a couple games where he throws multiple touchdown passes and more than 275 passing yards leads some come from behind victories against quality opponents. So really just good football against top opponents in big situations is, is probably what would constitute the national media giving him some respect or at least a little bit more respect than maybe he's received from them. Yeah, I'd say for for him to get respect, it's going to take develop f- consistently for four or five game stretch, have a rhythmic passing game. A rhythmic passing game means you're throwing in the intermediate range early and often. You're completing those. You're hitting the the easy layups too, which he's already hitting, and you're hitting a one or two over the top in a game. You hit that, you start to develop a rhythmic passing game. You're going to start to get media attention. But you also have to not turn the ball over like that. Because why are they whipping him right now? They're whipping him because he's not. He's not throwing for 250 or 275 yards, like Nick said. He's not having multiple touchdown passing games, and he's turning the ball over still. And, he, and right now, he hasn't turned the ball over at a high rate, but he's had turnover-worthy plays. Nick broke them down earlier, the one that should have been intercept, intercepted against Carolina. And week one, he had two turnovers. So if he can find a way to like play like the top quarterbacks, he's not going to um, get this national media all over him. And so you know, you say he can throw and run, your boy, but I think me and Nick would both agree. This is our perspective. We need, still need to see that he can throw. Can he throw physically? Of course he can throw physically. He shouldn't be in the NFL if he can't throw physically. He's made some great throws, but we don't want some great throws. We want rhythmic passing. We want consistently good throws over and over and over again in a game. Like Nick said, what we want is a two-minute offensive drill that's all through the passing game. A fourth-down comeback that's mostly passing game. That's not just Saquon Barkley carrying it and then a couple runs when he gets a good call from Kafka and he gets a free lane. And we also want, in addition to all of that, maybe they fall behind by two touchdowns and he leads them back by passing the football. That's how you get the media off his back, passing the ball consistently. Exactly. And first, you can also see it, make defensive coordinators pay for loading boxes and really playing the run. Now he's making those defensive coordinators pay for not respecting his legs. Now make them pay for not respecting his arm. And I understand the wide receiver situation. I get that 110%. But even if it's from the short to intermediate parts of the field, taking advantage of safety rotations, taking advantage of the coverage pre to post snap when it is different, those are things that have not been consistent with Jones since he arrived here in New York. So if you start doing that, you start matriculating the football down the field and you become more efficient in the red zone, not just from, you know, RPOs, dumping the ball to Daniel Bellinger for the touchdown, not just with your legs, but also with quick game concepts and with just good ball placement and with split second decisiveness, when the safety is not in position, you take advantage of it. Plays like that. I feel like will garner him the respect that a lot of people believe he deserves. Great point because right now defenses aren't respecting him from a schematic standpoint. They're playing a lot of single high at wildly shallow depths. The Cowboys game I went to, they were playing a safety at a wildly shallow depth. They put no respect on the quarterback. And like Nick said, the red zone passing still isn't there. He's processing slow in the red zone. He hasn't made one good throw into the end zone yet, to be completely honest. Like, let's just look at a situation. Bellinger was a free TD by Kafka. The the other, Myrick. Myrick, was a free TD by Kafka. 
That's not Jones. And he processed slow on the other Bellinger open through the seam in the red zone. And then the, the Shepard open in week one. So you want him to get respect. He's got to pass the ball, dude. And it's not just like, can he do it? Can he throw that throw to Richie James where he pointed out? No, no, no. It's got to be consistent. This is what the NFL is like. It, it's okay. Like he's doing the best he can right now uh, for what they're asking of him. Kind of, but not necessarily fully. Like Nick said, he's missing reads in the red zone. And again, if you're playing, if you're going against single high where the defense is just daring you to throw the ball, all they're doing is trying to get rid of Saquon Barkley. There has to be something there. I don't care if you have nothing at receiver. I don't care if Bachman, David Sills, and some other dude are playing receiver for the Giants right now. Schematically speaking, there are ways to beat defenses that are playing single high looks and, and at shallow depths and just not really respecting the passing game whatsoever. So I don't know. We have one more Daniel Jones question, but we kind of touched on this already, Jonathan, but I'll ask it. If we make the playoffs this year, how would you feel about franchise tagging Daniel Jones? And I want to add the caveat. If he starts to throw for like 250 yards, three touchdowns, and maybe gains a little bit more leverage in terms of contractual talks. Yes. If he starts to throw the ball well and develop a, and the Giants develop a consistent passing game that's throwing the ball for 250, 275 a game, at least two touchdowns a game, maybe a couple games with one, a couple games with three, whatever. Then I'm interested in the tag right now, as it stands, as he's played through four weeks, I am completely uninterested in the tag. A lot of people throw out the tag. I do not want to allocate 33 million to Daniel Jones right now. To me personally, if the other option is, if the only option is you tag him or you pay him a deal, that's like two years, 60 million or something like that, where it's similar to the tag. I am not convinced that just letting him walk and putting Tyrod Taylor in there versus what you can get for that 30 million in cap space on the free agent market, or just the health of not having that 30 million against your cap. I'm not convinced that Daniel Jones is worth 30 million more than Tyrod Taylor right now, or whatever it would be 21 million more, whatever it is. And that's a, and that's a good point. Dan don't like tag. What'd you say? Oh, tag. Not a John Hamm guy. Don't like Jeremy Renner. Uh, John Hamm, Jeremy Renner. Is that a movie tag? Yeah. Tag. Yeah. From no, like, I don't know, a couple years ago. Wow. Never seen it. I don't know. I think I've only saw it once, but I just wanted to use a movie reference that you didn't get because it's always on my end, you know? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So not Joe Shane asks, if you were forced to bring back Nate Solder at his worst or Jake Fromm at quarterback for for a full year, who would you choose? I'd bring back Nate Solder at his worst. Yeah, it's a fun question. These fun hypotheticals are always fun to me, I should say. Uh, Not Joe Shane. To me, it's an obvious answer. It's definitely Solder. Um, You know enough listening to me talk through this podcast. And Nick feels similar to this, by the way. Quarterback is way more impactful for winning football games than tackle. Way more impactful. Even just looking at it schematically, if you want, you can try to help a tackle out, right? By giving him a tight end, letting a tight end chip, giving him help and sliding pass protection his way. There is no help for bad quarterback play. None. You can align align Jake Fromm up at the wide receiver and just give the ball to Saquon Barkley. Wild wild Wildcat with Fromm in there. <laughs> That's about all you could do. Um, so it's definitely, definitely. And Nate Solder was pretty bad at his worst, so it's saying a lot there. Dylan asks, what are your thoughts on under center versus shotgun discussion going around the NFL? And would the Giants benefit from running more under center, which they've done a solid amount actually this season. And maybe the current personnel doesn't allow for that. I felt like Nick from watching this offense through four games on film. The only time I ever felt like they were really in a groove on offense was actually this. um, It was that. Yeah, it was this past game where they were just actually I felt like it was the Dallas game where they were under center running a shit ton of play action. 
Um, mm-hmm. and that was when I felt like the offense was actually at its best from a rhythmic standpoint. And so I felt like Jones was hitting the back foot off that under center play action. And a lot of times he was just deciding to run, but he was making that decision fast. And at least like, you know, and when he did try to throw, it was giving the giants an advantage. Uh, so as far as the conversation goes, we've seen it, you know, with Mina Kimes and the ESPN live crew yesterday, Excellent, by the way, an excellent conversation. And I thought Ben Solek actually had added some good insight to it as well. Um, just talking about what the Eagles are doing because the Eagles are kind of throwing it in the face. Like, you know, they're not under center a lot and they're still very effective off play action. Now, a lot of that is just the personnel they have right now, in my opinion. But I do feel like just from listening to enough NFL players, you do have some what of an advantage running play action out of under center. Um, but I'm curious to hear your take on that, Nick. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I yeah. think I think it's Marcus Spears and then RG three also talked a lot about it as well, the way they use pistol and how that kind of confused what they were going to do from a, it's not under center, but it's still kind of disguising if the guy's going to get the football or not and how it has forces hesitation for the linebackers forces hesitation for the defensive lineman. Marcus Spears, former defensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys and LSU talked a lot about how he hated going up against under center play action type of concepts. And I thought, if anybody hasn't seen it, go to Twitter, look up, just go to Dan Orlovsky's profile. He tweeted it out. I thought it was one of the best conversations I've heard on an ESPN platform for probably a decade, if I'm yeah. going to be honest. Yeah, it's fair. Um, and I think, look, the, the reason why it definitely helps to be under center is because you can't, and this is what they were saying, you can still hide the ball in play action. We saw Daniel Jones do an excellent job of that last Amazing week, job. hiding the ball. And in shotgun, it's harder to hide the ball. But if you go pistol, like Nick said, then you have the opportunity to hide the ball. So I kind of, I've always loved the pistol. I feel like the pistol is very underrated. Um, doesn't get used often, but very underrated. I'm a, I'm a pistol guy. So You're a bang, um, bang, pistol guy. Yeah, Bang, bang, pistol guy. So yeah, it's a great conversation. Thanks for asking that question. Andrew Spagnolo, And I wonder if he is related to Steve in any way or shape or form. Let us know, Andrew, if you are, it's the same spelling as Steve. Um, Percentage chance Nick Gates and Shane Lemieux are playing on the interior offensive line by the end of this season. Percentage chance? I have no clue. I'll shoot a percentage out there, though. Let's go with a 5% chance for them both to be out there. I think Shane Lemieux will be back eventually. Nick Gates, you're starting to hear people talk about how the window is open and he can come back. I'm still not certain as to how ready he is after such a devastating injury, but I hope that he can get back and say that he does get back. Does he actually take the job away from John Feliciano who has been there in training camp and really knows the system. So I'm not, I'm not fully sold on that, but let's put it at 5% for both of them to be on the field. Nick, I'm going to go 3%. It's a lot of hurdles for both of them to overcome to get on the field. Look, Ben Bredesen starting to play improved. He's starting to play. He's starting to be the only guy out there at left guard. First of all, which is a good sign for him. He's also starting to be improved massively in the run game. I know Shane Lemieux started camp as like this locked in starting left guard, but that's kind of to me a little bit overrated. Like I'm Shane Lemieux struggled massively in pass production his first season. We forget almost how bad he was. He was the lowest graded left guard in pass production. And so if he's not offering that from that standpoint, like an upgrade in pass pro, I don't know if the coaches are just going to turn away from Bredesen or maybe it's Azuto by then. We don't know, but either of them is going to have the continuity boost. They're going to have played with them. Now they have to worry about communication issues. If they just throw Lemieux in there. Right. And the same goes for Gates to be completely honest versus Feliciano. So I just find it tough for these guys to definitely get back into a starting lineup for this year. That's a good take. Who else we got? All right. Um, Sal asks, who snaps is Landon Collins taken and what's his best role for the team? I think he, I think he's here to rotate as a will and take some snaps away from Crowder, but he can't cover. Yes, yeah, so a shout out, Sal, friend of the show. Uh, this is a great question. 
I'm not really sure yet where I envision the Collins, like what I envision the Collins role right now, because I still think, look, he can, everyone's like so set on, you can't have him as a safety. He's got to be a linebacker. And I'm like, I don't know about that. He has good film as a safety too. Like <laughs> you don't want him in, I think really was that he was at his worst in coverage, not even in the deep half. He was at his worst when he was matched up against tight ends. And they're obviously just not going to have him do that. So we can rule that out. He won't be the guy matched up in the slot over the big, big slots and the big tight ends. Fine. That's great. But I could still see him playing some snaps potentially like in the deep half. And the Giants don't run a lot of deep half. I mean, they run some cover three and they run a lot of cover three and cover one. He's probably not going to be the safety in cover one. Like that's just probably not him. But as far as like will linebacker, that intrigues me too um, in certain pass down situations. I don't know what the actual role is going to be from like, what position he plays standpoint, but I know that his role is going to be that coming downhill, right. As a blitzer or a run stopper in the box. Otherwise. Yeah. He's going to be a hitter. That's what, that's what Landon Collins does. Hopefully. I mean, we're not sure about his health either. There's still so many health questions when it comes to this team. Reek, the ruler though, asks, where are we in the Alex Bachman sweepstakes? So for those of you who aren't on Twitter, there is almost a cult following akin to, I would say David Sills is probably not that that. Okay. So David Sills has an army, Dan. What does Alex Bachman have? Like a brigade, a regiment, yeah. the Bachman brigade. I like that. You nailed the it. Bachman right away. Brigade. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really good. I like that. So the Bachman brigade is, is pretty loud right now to bring Alex Bachman back. Look, I, I think he replicates what Richie James has somewhat just in terms of being a smaller, shiftier type of receiver who is best operating off the line of scrimmage as a number two or a number three receiver on the right. inside. The Giants need a number one. The Giants need someone who can stretch the field vertically, like we've said throughout this podcast and others. And I don't think Alex Bachman is that guy. I welcome him back. I think that would be cool, but I still think the Giants are missing key pieces in their wide receiver room. Yeah, I think you nailed that one perfectly. That's just not what they need. They need a boundary receiver who can stretch the field. All right, Cave, Cave, Key value pair, value yes. pair. This is like a, is that a poker reference? Value pair. I don't know. Signing Landon Collins gives me 2012 Will Hill vibes without the fear of the failed drug tests. Do you guys view 2022 Landon as a strong compute contributor in Wink's defense. Or you expect him to be more of a role player rotation guy. I think we should start with baby steps. I expect him to be a, a role player and a, and a rotation type of guy. And I think it would be lucky if, even if he works into a, 25 snap game type of guy. I think that's probably a, what, a 40% chance of that, Dan? Like if we had to do these percentages again? 25%. So 25% of snaps, you said? 25 to 30 snaps yeah, a game. A like, well, well, with Love injured. Yes. Well, the concussion. That op opens up an opportunity, but it is a concussion, which usually when you're cleared from the concussion, it's not like these other injuries where there's lingering effects or where there's like mm -hmm. compensation injuries that come back from it. So he'll probably be back on the field. If Love gets hurt, that's when things could change. I just don't see him operating the Dane Belton. Like, I don't see him taking snaps from Belton in the deep half, really. No, nah, neither do I. And I think that's where it gets tricky. But either way, I think he can be of value as a blitzer and just kind of as a thumper and somebody who is big and good in run support. And one funny thing, one funny story I want to bring out there, Will Hill was mentioned on this. So back in the day when I was living in my parents' house after college, like right after college, there was a court that we used to play pickup basketball on me and my friends every night, O'Connor Court, for those who are from West Orange area. And at the time, Will Hill was on the Giants, and he was living in the, the new apartments that were like right around the O'Connor Court, Nick. And so he would come and play pickup basketball at times. And so oh I one time played with pickup basketball with Will Hill, and he was insanely physical. And at one point, he like fouled me into the 
into like the gated fence, like the into like the the fence, and just fine was wild. There's just so much power behind that foul. I had no idea about this, and I don't know how yeah. you haven't told me this story before. Yeah. All the hangout we have, all the time we've spent hanging out, Dan. Never heard about my Will Hill experience. Yeah, Will Hill just bodied you, and guess what? Bodied. It was one of those things where you didn't want to call a foul. No, like, I was it was never like calling a foul on Will Hill. No. No, you're not calling a foul on Will Hill. It was like the uh, the scene from The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler and Michael Irving. Like, you're not calling the foul there. You're just going to suck it up and try to sink the shot, bro. But you probably didn't sink the shot against Will Hill, I'd imagine. No, I did not. Um, <laughs> all right. Takuma Rowe asks, this is a good one, out of all the draft-eligible quarterbacks, who bets fits what Dable and Kafka want to do? And I would say this. I, wanted, I, I, I changed the question to what they want to do because this current Dable-Kafka offense, in my estimation, is not what they want their offense to look like. It's what they're doing with what they have. Exactly. And that's what good coaching staffs do. Right. right? And I'll preface this and I don't want to speak for Dan, but I'm going to say this for myself. I have not studied these, these quarterbacks. I've I've watched, you know, college football on Saturday. That's my understanding of them. If I had to pick one off of that, it would be CJ Stroud out of Ohio state. I would say just, I'm going off of traits, just a traits based thing. Um, So traits based, I think they want the Josh Allen mold. I think that's ideal for them, especially because look, we've heard like, Russell Wilson talk about this and, and Kyler Murray talk about this and two attack ball. When you're a small quarterback, it's hard to see over the defense for that middle area of the field. It's hard to get into a rhythmic timing passing game over that middle breaking air and those on those in breakers. And that's a lot of what the NFL passing game. That's a good way to get yourself in rhythm as a passing game. So I also want a bigger quarterback too, for that reason as well. I'm bigger. I mean, taller. And so I think Anthony Richardson traits wise fits that bill the best. I still think he's an insanely raw prospect, but I will say this, having watched enough of, of just from what I've watched so far, cultural ball wise. And I am Nick much, much bigger on going by traits and going by feel for how I see people command. So for example, if I feel like they have a really good pocket feel, I'm going to like that a lot. I'm not going to see that. I'm not going to need to see a million hours of film to know that if I feel like they throw well on the run, I'm not going to see a million, like some of those traits stand out to me right away. And from all the quarterbacks I've watched, I feel like by far and away, and this includes Stroud and um, the Alabama quarterback, Bryce uh, Young. Bryce Young. By f- and this guy is not draft eligible, by the way, until 2024. By okay. far and away, if I had to make a bet on a quarterback right now to project to the NFL and be a great NFL quarterback, and let me caveat by saying this. If you get drafted to a bad team versus a good team, it definitely impacts your, your likelihood of being good. But by far and away, it's Caleb Williams, the quarterback for oh, UFC. Yeah. I watched yep. him play this past game. He had everything I wanted. He had an unbelievable feel for pressure in the pocket. He had an unbelievable savvy for moving within the pocket, for throwing on the run, for creating. He threw a great ball with unbelievable ball placement and velocity. He's big. He can run. Caleb Williams from USC is by far and away the best quarterback prospect I've seen that's going to come out either this year or next. I would be so happy if the Giants somehow got him. It's funny, too, because we're going to be interested in that USC quarterback and then CJ Stroud, who was a quarterback from Ohio State. And both of those schools are known right. for not having quarterbacks. And you know, that's going to be like a huge topic of I conversation, like a huge thing. I yeah, exactly. No, there's no narrative I hate more than the, than the uh, helmet, the helmet grading narrative. Helmet you, scouting. Helmet scouting is as literally as bad as it gets. And people say, but it's worked like you can't find a good Ohio State quarterback to to to. um you know, defer that comment, but it's like, okay, but guess what? They played in a million different systems there. Like, it's not like they've always had this Brian day system in there. So it's like, so now we're just talking about like every system doesn't work. It's just like, if you go to Ohio state, you're cursed. 
No, there's going to eventually be a good Ohio State quarterback. And the same thing goes for USC. The USC is not even running a system. Anything They're running the Oklahoma system. Like, what's his name went over there? And they're running that. Like, so, I mean, Oklahoma has Kyler Murray, right? But Oklahoma's system also hasn't looked that good because they got Baker Mayfield and all this. <laughs> but um, don't Jalen Hurts, man. Jalen Hurts, baby. Yeah, uh, I'm still. I want that. I'm happy this question was asked so I could say on what's the date today, October 6th, 2021 or 2022. Wow, I went back a year. I said Caleb Williams is going to be that dude, and I'm standing by that. I love what I've seen from Williams. Um, October 6th, 2021, great day, by the way, last year. Uh, we with Giants just beat the Saints, and then I ended up flying to Ohio to get the puppy that's behind me on the YouTube uh, video. Nice. So it's, it's our one year gotcha day for for little Phoenix, and we're excited about that. Awesome. So then we can move to Els and Kells, who asks, um, we saw Wink change his game plan week to week based on teams' best player. Oh, the team's best player, and last week we saw him change it based on fields, his deficiency, and reading coverages pre and post snap, which leads to my next question. How will Wink Rogers attack Aaron Rodgers? Or how will Wink attack Aaron Rodgers this week? Great question. Yeah, so they played last year in 2021. It was the game where Huntley went for two. The Ravens went for two and they didn't get it. And the Packers ended up winning 31 to 30, if I'm not mistaken. And what I remember about that game, I looked it up earlier in the week when I was doing research. Played a lot of cover six, a lot more zone, a lot less cover three. Now I think it was like the second least cover three of the season run by Wink Martindale's defense. Obviously different situations, different personnel. So I don't think we're going to see as much middle of the field close. And I think that's going to lead Good point. to Green Bay running the football like they did last week in their win over the Patriots. There was a lot of running the football with Aaron Jones, a lot of running the football with A.J. Dillon. But I think that's early on. I think if the Giants stop that, then we're going to see Aaron Rodgers start to cook. I think there's going to be a lot of Alan Lazard. I think you're going to see some big Bob Tunyon. And I think Romeo Dobbs is probably going to have a good game. But in terms of what Wink Martindale is going to do, I don't expect as aggressive of an approach. He's still going to try to blitz. But I expect to see a decent amount of quarter, quarter, half, and quarters type of coverage to attempt to defend Aaron Rodgers and his ability to attack every inch of the football field. I hope you're right about that. I mean, they played a lot of cover one, cover three last week. I don't, I saw some major glaring flaws in the cover three looks that I saw. Like it was Justin Fields in the Paris passing game. Thank God. But I was like, damn, there were opportunities for a good quarterback to rip some hole shots here. And as far as cover one goes, like, like you said, middle of the field, close safety, that's a massive risk against Aaron Rodgers. that I think you're right about Nick. They're not going to want to like play a defense that's doing that the whole time. I don't think they're going to do what they did week one against the Titans either, where they kind of like stack the box and try to, you know, force everything inside in the run game. So I'm actually curious to see. I think what your guess is, Nick is probably the best guess, but I'm, I, I'm more uncertain about how they're planning to play Aaron Rodgers than any of these other game plans so far this year. And as for pressure, I think it's going to be twists. There's going to be maybe more yep. twists than what we've seen. And then simulated pressure, which we've seen a decent amount of this season, you know, dropping O'Shane Zimenez off under, drop O'Shane Zimenez off, blitz Tay Crowder, blitz Darnay Holmes. I think when you do that with the cornerbacks, though, very dangerous game. Like if yeah. you want to do that with the number two receiver, with Darnay Holmes over the number two receiver, and there's so much space between Aaron Rodgers and that number yep. two, something Wink has done a couple times this year. And Baker Mayfield processed it. You know, Ryan Tannehill processed right. it. Aaron Rodgers is going to see that. So you got to get a little bit more creative with your simulated pressures, maybe with the linebackers and then dropping whoever that weak side end man on the line of scrimmage off underneath the slant to the free access side of the field. Phenomenal point by Nick. 
if Tannehill and Baker Mayfield can process it, you know, sure as hell, Aaron Rodgers is going to process it. Has to be pretty, like everyone, one thing I found funny, everyone hated the Giants game plan last year against Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. They're like, this is not how you, but I'm like, if you blitz these guys, you are more screwed than if you don't. And I feel like the same is pretty much true for Aaron Rodgers. Like you're going to have to win with Kayvon Thibodeau winning one-on-ones with Zizo Ojolari if he plays winning one-on-ones. And I don't know where Ojolari is at. I think he's trending toward not playing right, Nick. I'm not 100% certain. Yeah, we don't know. They don't give us anything on the injuries. It's just like a guessing game at all times with this giant staff as far as the injury goes. So don't take our word for any injuries. But as far as the guys they have out there, I think what I've heard, at least from Dan Duggan, he was saying Leonard Williams might play, which would be huge for the Giants. Tiger um, blood. You yeah. hear that? He says he has tiger blood. They have to win up front with the with. I hope they have to win up front. My what I would say, Els and Kells, is try to win with a four man pass rush first and see what happens and see if you can get it done that way. Um, and we'll see what happens there. It's gonna be it's gonna be a really tough matchup for this defense. Absolutely, DG, the one and only Dave Gettleman asks, do you feel that zone or man coverage bodes better for creating interceptions? It's definitely zone. I think it's right. just, I would say so, but I think it also comes down to your personnel. Who is in man coverage? True. Is the quarterback attacking that player in man coverage? But yeah, definitely zone. But I would say more importantly, it would be the disguises that you can implement due to your zone coverage and how you rotate your right. safeties and trying to create trap type of coverages that fool quarterbacks pre to post snap. Something that we talk about a decent amount on this podcast because it's something that I feel like earlier in Jones's career, maybe we even saw a little bit more of than now where teams are just really focused on kind of stopping that run, like just something that we saw Patrick Graham do a pretty good job of those trap coverages. Right. I haven't seen it as much with Wink Martindale. It's been a little bit more vanilla on that end, but there's still been a ton of other than the, other than the simulated pressures and the end man on the line of scrimmage dropping off. I'm talking at least a little bit more from a safety type of right. position, but the safeties will still rotate like crazy, but that's like Julian love in the a gap, sugaring the a gap and then rotating to a deep half and just crazy stuff like that, that Wink Martindale likes to pull out of his rear end. So I would say disguising is probably the most, the, the best way to come away with interceptions. So guys better in zone. Yeah. And, and I it's interesting what you said. I mean, team started by playing a mix of man and zone against Daniel Jones's rookie year. And he was so much better against man. Then they started doing what Nick said. They started playing him in zone coverage because they knew he couldn't take advantage of zone. And now, like you said, they're not even doing any, they're just literally just trying to stop Saquon Barkley in the run game every week. And, and they're not haven't been able to so far, which is amazing. Yeah, Daniel Jones, it took a while for him to, to uh, really take advantage of zone coverage. I yeah. think it was like late in the season. He connected on a touchdown pass to Rhett Ellison, if I'm not mistaken. I think that might have been, and I don't even know if that was just, that wasn't even country type of zone. That was right. a pattern match. And I think Rhett Ellison like caught the football and like rolled into the end zone for a touchdown. But yeah, early in his career, he uh, really struggled to process how to put touch overneath those underneath defenders. Essentially, I still think he struggles against zone coverages. Yeah. To be completely honest. I mean, otherwise we'd see more yards. Let's be honest about the situation. Um, even though, again, teams aren't really playing as much zone against the Giants, but still. Um, all right. Let's see what else we have here. We've got Robert Markowitz who says, if Jones is 80% healthy and you're the head coach, do you play him? Yeah, I think if, if he can execute your game plan and there's no risk of re-injury, then yeah, you can. So for me, that's I basically have a different answer than Nick. I wouldn't play Daniel Jones this week at anything but 100%. And I don't know if he is 100%. If, they, if they're like, look, there's no risk of re-injury. He's 100%. Fine. I'm okay playing him. But otherwise, 
why not take 14 days if you can take 14 days? Now, this is also dependent on if Tyrod Taylor is cleared. If Tyrod Taylor is cleared, this is my answer. If, if it's going to have to be Davis Webb, then I'd just rather play the injured Jones. And But if, if it is Davis Webb and or if it is an injured Jones, an 80% Jones, let's just say, not injured, and they're down by two or three touchdowns or something like that or two or three scores in the first half, I might even just go to Webb in that. Like, I don't want to risk re-injury with Jones. I don't want to make this worse than it has to be. Like, I, right now, it seems like he avoided a major scare to the fact that he might even play this week, probably going to play this week. But 14 days feels like so much better than giving him six. So I, I I don't know. I just I feel really cautious about this idea of playing Jones. We'll see what happens. I hope he doesn't re-injure himself because that would really suck for them. I mean, Jones, like it depends. You're talking about 80 percent specific to that injury. Then then, yeah, I think what you're right. saying makes sense. But like nobody's 100 percent right now. True. Like, no true. one. It's like they're, they're all sore. He's a super tough yeah. guy, though, and he's going to play and be like, I'm yeah. not that injured. And if he actually is, it's like. I hope he doesn't re-injure himself. That's just you game. can't have a cardinal situation to, no, to go back to what we yep. that that was terrible. Frank Corona asks, obviously, Andrew Thomas is a priority, but out of McKinney, Saquon, and Dex, who would you prioritize to resign? And who would you be most okay with letting out the door? Well, that's a great question. It I is. would say after Thomas, my priorities would go McKinney, Dexter, then Saquon. I think I'm the same. Yeah. I think I'm the same. And that that says we're okay with Saquon going outdoor, which sounds absolutely asinine and ridiculous, but it's just not when you're thinking of it from a long-term roster building standpoint, of course. Exactly. It it sounds ridiculous, but it's the nature of the running back position. It's the history of health for Saquon Barkley. And I'm going to understand this offense is nothing without this player. We have praised Saquon Barkley, yet we still maintain this opinion because both Dan and I believe it's the way you build a successful roster. And the Giants are still a few key pieces away from competing for meaningful football games in the playoffs and at the Super Bowl level. And I think getting yourself into a situation where you could be like the Dallas Cowboys right now with Ezekiel Elliott or like the Rams, you know, I know the Rams might not even be the best example because they won a Super Bowl, but still they allocated so much to Todd Gurley and even Jared Goff. And they still found a way to win by acquiring Matt Stafford goes to Dan's point about the cap and how you can move a lot of different things around because they don't even believe in draft picks out there, but you don't want to eat that kind of dead cap. If you re-sign a running back to a massive deal, running back with an injury history, like a Todd Gurley, like even though they ended up winning the Super Bowl, that was still a huge, terrible decision by the Rams. It's just, they ended up finding a way to get around it. So I don't want the Giants to be in that position. So I we would have to say I guess Saquon is the one that would go out the door out of all those players, which is it's weird not a player say. thing. It's just look, the, you go by the numbers. Running backs fall off a cliff at age twenty seven. There are very few at age twenty six. It's really that age twenty seven season where it starts to decline. There are very few like great running backs in the NFL even right now who are twenty eight or twenty nine or thirty or thirty one. So you just have to look at it like that. You have to look at the position, the positional value. Look, if you get if you lose Saquon of all those guys, right? Say you lose Saquon. What gives you a better chance of build? You can still build out a good running game if you develop a great offensive line. But, you know, if you lose, let's say, a McKinney, how long is it going to take you to find another safety like that? And how bad is your team going to look if you have the safety in there that's not a McKinney's level? So it's also positional value to me, too. I really do believe a running back is, and this Saquon's kind of throwing that in his face, but we know that we've seen on film that part of why Saquon's having such a good year is scheme. 
and good run blocking. Like there have been some really good run blocking plays. Sure, the O-line has been great in pass protection, but that's independent of what they're doing in the run game. This has been the best run blocking I've seen from the Giants my entire career covering this team, including that 2000 run, if you want to call it that, by Judge. He's like winning games against like Brandon Allen. Everyone's like, oh my God, he's so good. Like even then, like there was like, he had the game against Seattle where it's really just an unbelievably undisciplined defense they faced. I just feel like there wasn't really any amazing run blocking any time until recently where they're starting to get a groove in the run game and they're physical and they're taking it downhill. Even last game after Jones got injured and they were forced to play like wildcat, they're still finding running lanes. They're still finding ways to create stuff and getting key first down. So I don't know. I just running back for me is never going to be a position. I'm crazy about losing. No, I totally understand that. Okay. Giants news says first round pick next year, corner or wide receiver for picking around 15. Dan and I probably have the same answer here, and I think it's just going to come down to the best available player, who yes. fits best. But let's just hypothetically say, Dan, two guys, same exact grade, yep. same exact everything. I think I'm going to go with the cornerback. What about you? I'm going to go with receivers. Oh, I hate taking it's receivers. It's tough. It's tough. I hate taking receivers early, but um, I just feel like t- – Given what we've seen from like all these guys, they've rotated in Fabian Moreau. I don't know how much of this is just influenced by recency bias, by the fact that we faced Cooper Rush, Baker Mayfield, Justin Fields for three of our four games. And like maybe if I was facing Aaron Rodgers types every week or more often, I'd be like, ah, crap, we really need a corner. But right now I feel like this team does actually need a, need a receiver more than a corner. It's crazy. And I think that's an excellent point. And it kind of goes to the nuance of a, a question like this. Great question, by the way. But let's let's have a little fun with this, Dan. If you had to choose between Patrick Sertan or Garrett Wilson, both picked around the same part of the draft, different years, Garrett Wilson, good, obviously, good question. The year, which direction would you go? Okay. And based on how good this question is, I'm changing my original question pick to corner because I just definitely rather have Patrick. There's so fewer Patrick Sertans in the NFL than Garrett Wilson's. That's the yep, key. There's more depth at receiver. Yeah, I, that, I'm right there with you. But then you could also argue, what about J.C. Horn? And then you're like, eh, he didn't really pan out as well, even though it's yeah. kind of disingenuous to injuries? say that because because of the injuries. Yeah. But yeah, I, I would. I think I'm going to go corner. Good yeah, question. I just feel like there's a better chance of landing a, a good receiver in round two than there is a good corner. Much better. Yeah, the Michael Pittmans of the world, players yeah. like that. Corner who thins out super fast. Receiver does not thin out as fast. Absolutely. Um, all right. Thela. Uh, <laughs> Fella, hey Fella. I don't know what your real name is. I'm just calling you hey Fella. You know that movie name? Are you talking about Stella? Yeah, it's like a Stella reference. Why are you saying Fella? I don't. I don't know the Stella name is Fella. Stella something. You talk about Stella. Yeah, this guy's name is Fella something. So, so what would a realistic trade involving Leo Will, uh, uh, Leonard Williams look like? I can just answer this real quick. No one's trading for Leonard Williams. There's a ton of cap that's been pushed back to this next year because Dave Gettleman's Dave Gettleman, and he's going to be the fourth highest paid non-quarterback next year. Literally no one's trading for that contract. So no, yeah, no trade. NA. I was going to say, I don't know what the realistic trade would be because of those reasons. Okay. Let's go to the next one. Mohammed got Mohammed gotcha asks, how do you guys foresee Wandell being used this week? Assuming Tony is a no-go is Wandell definitely playing. I don't think it's a definite yeah, situation, but he got a limited practice in Wednesday, which I mean, according with Kadarius Tony got a limited practice in Wednesday and then he didn't practice Thursday, but let's just say that he's playing. I think he assumes the Richie James role and he plays it probably to a higher standard or a, a higher mark than what Richie James has. If he's fully healthy and up to speed, I think Wando Rob, I think the offense passing attack is going to run through Wando Robinson once he gets back. Yeah, that's 
you, you nailed it. Okay, he also says, does this defense have a role for Ellerson Smith if and when he is designated to return from injury? Absolutely. I think you can definitely leverage the skill set of Ellerson Smith, and I think it just adds another competent edge body to their pass rush and kind of keeps the legs of Aziz Ojolari, Kayvon Thibodeau, Jihad Ward, O'Shane Zimenez, Tom on Fox more fresh because the more bodies that Wink can recycle into the into the defense, the more the, the better they can be, essentially. And that's kind of what he did with Baltimore as well. I know he had like Justin Houston and and Odafe Owe play a lot of snaps, but he used like every defensive body that he had. And I think he'll do the same once Ellerson comes back. <laughs> this is a great question. Alex Zonic asks, Nick, would you eat an extra, extra large portion of fish and chips if that meant the Giants win in London? Isn't that like fried fish and like? Oh yeah, this is battered and battered and fried fish, and the chips are just fry are, are steak fries essentially. Sounds terrible. Um, gonna, yeah. If it, let me explain to you what an extra extra large portion is, at least in my head as I read it. Uh, a normal portion, you're going to probably get four pieces of fish, three or four pieces of fish. So let's let's turn that into you have to eat seven or eight pieces of fried fish, and now they, they usually load up the fries. So you're probably getting like at least a pound of of steak fries. Yeah, I can't do that. Like, I physically you can't can do, do it. That. Yes, you can. No, no. Uh, yes, I, you can. I don't think so. I don't There's think no my body would agree with it. I don't There's think no my time. body. What's up? There's no time limit. <sighs> Jeez. I mean, I would do it to secure a win for sure. And I, I so. would apologize to my toilet afterwards. But also, I, you, you should have thrown in. This is on you, Alex, because you. Yeah, exactly. Apologize to his toilet. I, I'm not going to go in the direction I could go here. <laughs> like, he didn't give any cir- like uh, any special circumstances. Who knows if he can just, like, you know, what if he wants to throw up the food? I'm not saying Nick would do that. I don't know anything about <laughs> that. But what if he wants to do that? That's giving him an option. So don't give him that out. He has to consume the food, let it pass through his system, taking all those calories. That'd be terrible. But uh, for a giant win, I would I would think about it. I might do that for fun, Alex. I might just do that to do it. Um, <laughs> so fuck it. Uh, Jesse Lamas asks, what's the best? Can you name some of the best Italian delis in New Jersey? Mm, best Italian delis in New Jersey. I'm sure, Dan, I know you have a couple in the Montclair and the Madison area and the Chatham area that you brought up to me. So you want to list those? Okay, let's start with the best that's not in any of those areas. Um, and that would be Fiori's, Fiori's in Hoboken, New Jersey. It's by far and away the best Italian deli you can find. It's got the best mutts. It's got an unbelievable um, it's special on Saturdays with the roast beef, with the gravy and the mutts. Great, great deli, everything like that. Um, an old school great deli that's now, I heard, like out of business or she canceled it. She used to run it out of her house. Tudo Fresco. This was actually the best chicken cutlet and the best. It's actually the best mozzarella over Fiori's, which no one knows about in Livingston, New Jersey. Tuto Fresco. I don't think she's running it anymore. I don't live near there anymore, so I don't know. But people have told me she's not running that anymore. That would be up there for me as well. Um, there's a, one that used to be right by my house in Montclair. I can't believe I'm forgetting it now. It's not Belgevines, which is also good. It's um, fuck. How am I forgetting this name? This is the this is an amazing one, right? Uh, right off of Bloomfield Ave, downtown Montclair. Um, why am I forgetting the name? This is brutal to be forgetting this on air. Uh, in Montclair, New Jersey, someone's gonna have to help me out with this. This is one of the best Italian delis there is. They got. They have a pepperoni bread. They probably the best pepperoni bread. This is not their featured thing, but they have the best pepperoni bread in the in the state. Um, fuck, what's the name of this place? I can't believe I'm blanking on this name. But those are my big three right there. What is it? Sparrows? No, no, no. Sparrows. Yeah. 
No, not Sabaros. Oh, okay. No, no, it's not yeah. that. It's it's Sabaro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not talking about Michael Scott's favorite pizza. Yeah. It's not Sparrows. I know Sparrows. It's not Belgevines, which is also good. It's right by Belgevines. How am I forgetting this name? It's like uh so obvious. Damn it. Whatever. This is devastating that I forgot the name. It's right. If, if those who are wondering, it's like right by where um um Diesel and Duke, the burger place is right by the train. So someone, someone help us out off pod, but those are the big three for me. Number one being Fiori's. Okay. Yeah. There's two, there's two that come to my mind though, just go from like it. where I yes. grew up. One actually closed and I don't even remember the name, but my mother and I would, would go there frequently. But the one that's still open is in Sakasona. It's Jean Carlos. It's, it's pretty damn good. They got yeah. great bread. It's a bakery, great cakes, all that kind of stuff. But the deli is also elite. Okay. I like it. I might have to stop by those. All right. We've got two more. One is going to be Jesse Aranor who asks, how pissed can I be if Saquon doesn't spend his entire career with the Giants? And are you guys Knicks or Nets fans? There's only one answer to the the last question, and that's yeah. Knicks. And in terms of Saquon, you can be as pissed as you want, to be honest. I mean, that's that, that's on you, bro. Uh, <laughs> I would. I mean, I can understand why fans would be upset if Saquon Barkley's not back. And like Dan and I have said this entire podcast, you could also understand why he isn't back. I think both those things can coexist. But in terms of Knicks-Nets, come on. What are we doing here? Knicks all the way. Yeah, it's got to be Knicks, even though I grew up as a Nets fan. But weird. I didn't, I didn't grow up as a Nets fan, I should say. I just grew up when they were in Jersey. I supported all Jersey teams. So I kind of liked them when they had Jason Kidd. But it's always been the Knicks, and it should be the Knicks. As far as you can be as pissed as you want, dude. This is one of my big things that I see on Giants Twitter, Nick, that I don't tweet about. But I have, like typed up this tweet and sent it and saved it as drafts like 15 times. I get so angry when people on Giants Twitter to try to tell people how they can and can't be fans. Let people root for the team however they want. If they want the team to get a better draft pick, let them do it. It doesn't hurt you at all. What the hell do you care? If they don't think that it's good to win nine games now because it screws up their chances long-term, whatever. Let them think like that. Why do you care? Like, why I hate people who do the tweet, like, look at this fan. He's such an idiot and an asshole. Like, dude, shut up. Like, let them be a fan however they want. It doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect the team. It's not going to affect if they win or lose. And so be a fan however you want. If you want to be insanely angry that the Giants don't re-sign Barkley, be insanely angry the Giants don't re-sign Barkley. It's your choice. It's your freedom. I don't care. Nick doesn't care. It doesn't affect us. It doesn't affect the Giants at all. So do you, man. That's all I have to say. I say my piece because that shit bothers me more than almost anything else on Giants Twitter. I feel you, man. I feel you. Now we have this. Is this the last question from Rob Leonard? Yes, the last one. Yes. So with the game in London this week, can I pitch you guys Crystal Palace as an EPL team, don't be lame and follow Liverpool or Manchester United like everybody else. That's how I imagine he would have written that in his head. I respect that. You imagine he would have written that. Um, great question. Uh, let's say this, Rob. EPL wise, I need to get into it really badly. There's plenty of people in my life who've been telling me I need to get into it. I know I need to get into it. I have a hard time picking up another sport right now. I'm already so like sports oriented with work and life. As far as who would I pick? So here's the big question. My brother played for MatchFit when he grew up. It's like a Jersey team sponsored by Chelsea. So he's a diehard Chelsea fan. My boss is also a diehard Chelsea fan. They've been pushing hard for me to be a Chelsea fan. My One of my best friends, Brett, Brett Childs, is a diehard Liverpool fan. And he would almost disown me if I went to Chelsea. He hates the idea of Chelsea. They have anti-Semitic overtones that are going on, some issues with anti-Semitism that I haven't looked into. Apparently just a horribly run team, like from the, the people who own the team are horrible people. You could probably tell me more on that, Rob, but it's so hard for me to just tell my brother no. If I end up like going, and, and I would love to be Liverpool just simply by the fact that like 
I love their slogan. You never walk alone. It's the greatest thing in sports. Literally, you cannot have a better team slogan than you never walk alone. It gives me chills just thinking about how good that is. Now, as far as what I would pick, Rob, the problem is this. EPL is a league with no cap, basically. It's just whoever spends the most basically is good. Man City was nothing, and then they just got that A-Rod money, and, and they became, and I don't mean it like that, but they got a lot of money from somebody, and they became one of the best teams year after year. Like, it's just teams are just bought and won. So, like, I, I don't want to pick a team that's going to lose all the time, Rob. So, I got to be honest with you. I'd probably pick Liverpool or Chelsea, but as far as Crystal Palace goes, I'll look into them. Hey, Crystal Palace can be good. Uh, for me, I, I like watching soccer, but I don't have like a favorite team. My girlfriend is a big Liverpool fan because of Fernando Torres, and I've heard her say, Fernando Torres, Liverpool's number nine. So many damn times that if I had to pick a team, I guess I'd go in that direction, but I couldn't even name you one player. Okay. Good stuff. All right. That's it for today's mailbag. Thank you for everybody tuning in on the podcast or the YouTube page. Enjoy. Uh, leave us a rating, review, subscribe, and like on YouTube. Do anything you can to help us grow. That's all we ask. Have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.